0: Hey, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Bright Lights. Uh, I'm your host, Lacey Johnson, and we're here each week, each Wednesday at 7 p.m. to bring you uh, special guests uh, who have uh, great achievements uh, in their lives, in their careers, uh, through hard work, commitment, etc. And we bring them before you to... Uh, get a chance to hear from them, and to be honest with you, to have them share their bright lights uh, with our audience. Uh, Today, and we come to you from the Twin Cities. Uh, Today was a great day in the Twin Cities, as far as. Weather is concerned, nice summer day. Uh, The only, I guess, negative part or drawback, and I shouldn't say negative, uh, was my little grandson wasn't feeling well, so I had to make it early morning run uh, to the store in the drugstore to get him some juice and vitamins and, and a little child uh painkillers and things like that so uh everybody out there uh say a prayer for my little grandson and that he gets well very soon uh i've been out here uh addressing issues uh well, all my life and i've discovered that uh some of the things that Uh, get in the way of us successfully addressing a lot of these issues or solving a lot of these problems uh, is that there are a lot of dots to recognize and connect. And if you miss any dot or don't connect a dot, the solution that you come forward with will not work. And I'm saying this is in things like uh, crime, uh, education, uh, economic development. I see a lot of people out there with a lot of great ideas, some with great intentions. I see other people out there without great intentions. They just wanna use the situation for their own personal benefits and things like that and ambitions. But the bottom line is that in order for us to really understand and solve a lot of these issues, we need to understand ourselves and our fellow citizen better. Now, I don't know about anyone else, but uh, I took a psychology course in college, and it started my journey towards understanding what makes us tick. And then uh, over the past couple of years, I've been Uh, Looking at human psychology again, I've been looking a little bit into brain science and how our brains work in people. If you don't know how your brain works, you don't know yourself and you don't know other people because it really we're not as logical as we think we are. And so, those I'm saying that because of our guest tonight, Uh, I have a guest who is familiar in all these areas. Uh, She's a professional uh, clinical counselor, and she has a background in these areas, and we're going to uh, talk with her this evening, and we're going to take some of her knowledge, her background, and her training, and apply them to some of the current situations that's going on and get her feedback and input. So I want you to welcome tonight our guest, Tracy Smith. Uh, hello, Tracy. How you doing?
1: I'm good, Lacey. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, and I only uh, gave a general uh, information, some general information on your background as far as Mm -hmm. the field you're in. But Mm -hmm. I'm going to let you talk specifically about what you do and your background a little bit more for our audience. And like I say, besides the professional clinical counseling, I know you've done and it could be involved in that. You've done some drug counseling and chemical dependency yeah. counseling, things like that. So mm-hmm. welcome, Tracy. Introduce yourself to uh, our audience and anything you miss. as the great interviewer that I am. I'll pull it out of you. So welcome. <laughs> welcome, Thank Tracy. You,
1: okay. um, well, I am a professional clinical counselor, that's true. And a lot of times there's questions about what's the difference between a professional clinical counselor or social worker or psychologist, a clinical psychologist, there's there's just a lot of what we call, I would call alphabet soup that ends Mm -hmm. up kind of being out there. And professional clinical counselors and, and counseling psychology, a lot of times what I would say is we're the ones that are a little bit more like the generalists. We, we kind of, if we, we put it in terms of, of auto mechanics, we're the, we're the general auto mechanic that you might go to that kind of has that overview circumstance, Right. Mm-hmm. And the clinical psychologists are those that actually go in and have this more of the specifics. They're trained and working on, on those Audis and those Beamers, and they're very specifically trained in that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So uh, what I do is I basically came into the field myself. I've been going through, I've had a professional license in treating addiction since 93. So I've worked with some a lot of complexity and have worked with... Um, chemical dependency and mental health for quite some time and went back and specifically chose to do the professional clinical um, route because I wanted to have a little bit more of a generalist circumstance as my base. Uh But I also then went through and made some conscious choices as to some of the specializations that I chose. One area that I chose for specialization was dialectic behavior therapy And part of the reason I looked at that is because it made sense to me. It really is about teaching people skills and skills for living. And we do it in places like stress management, mindfulness, interpersonal skills, um, and emotion regulation. Those are the four main areas that we really look at in dialectic behavior therapy and dialect behavior therapy specifically um, was studied and worked on by Marsha Linehan, she's the founder, and it was utilized for individuals that had a lot of struggles with mental health. So with personality disorders and beyond that it it was found and to work really well in a lot of other areas and aids I think the general populace even to be able to understand learning some life skills and be able to be present in their life. Um, that's part of what I, I think about when I think about mindfulness is the idea of being actively present in your own um, life and how how you show up. And making conscious choices about doing that, finding ways to to look towards solutions versus that of some of the problems that we might be struggling with. And I think that was one of those things, Lacey, where you and I actually connected really well on was talking about that idea of how do we how do we work hard to be part of that solution versus part of, you know, versus the problem? How do we jump into an aspect of that? And I feel privileged to be able to walk with people. Um, and the courage it takes to be able to walk with that people come in to say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I need somebody to be able to guide me, teach me, mentor me, aid me with this and um, support me, support at me in the journey of um, my life and aid me a little bit in figuring out how to do this a little bit differently i feel privileged because it takes a lot of courage for someone to actually ask for that assist and ask for that help and i feel privileged to be able to to market and watch it and see it and and guide people um, i also feel really privileged because i learn something every single day from the people i treat um you know it's one of those things i i think back to a statement, you know, there by the grace of God go I. Every one of us is is both teacher and student. Absolutely. Um as well as I think every one of us has a journey. So um I'm just really grateful to be able to um and feel honored to be able to go through and walk with people on that. So currently uh, I'm in private practice. Um, the practice is in Savage, and um, it is Southbridge Counseling. We are a very small group. We do dialectic behavior therapy there. We are a certified team. And in Minnesota, you have to walk through a process to, be, to become a certified team. We are the only certified team in Scott County. Um, and there um, is a need to go through and do that. And generally how DBT looks is folks come and participate and learn the skills and then in group for as well as then do individual work with with their therapist to learn how to um, practice living the skills. Beyond just doing DBT, we also treat general mental health. Um, we also have had it, uh, an honor to be able to have some interns and be able to give back to our profession and teach. Um, and we, every one of us that are there are, we're very small at the moment. Um, every one of us though is also trained in working at doing some trauma, um, trauma therapy. And I've. My background, I've treated addiction for a long time. I've also worked with military. I've done a lot of work in understanding PTSD. Um, your introduction, Lacey, you were commenting that people um, don't necessarily think through an aspect of, of their um, feelings. That is so true. <laughs> um, oftentimes when we don't address what might be going on for us, what ends up happening is we, we feel it in our bodies. We, we now know, and I'm so grateful to Basil Vandikoff, which was a neurologist that had um, aided in, in um, doing scans and aided our, my profession in learning that memories, especially traumatic memories are not held in the frontal lobe where we, we thought they were. So talking through, um, talking through and using language, is not the way that we're going to heal from something that's traumatic. Oftentimes we have, to, we have to feel it in our bodies. We have to do an intervention that's different so that we can actually go through and explore it and connect the, the, those two lobes so that we can go through and release some of that energy. And sometimes it's a very active participation it, to be able to do that. Um, when we just talk it through, what we oftentimes end up doing is we end up re-traumatizing. So we want to not do that. Um, we want to actually figure out how to experience it in such a way that people can release it and continue to learn, learn what they need to from the experience and then move forward. Um,
0: okay. Well, thanks for that. You mentioned quite a few things that we're going to come back to. Uh, I I'm just know, so excited, Lacey. <laughs> I love the excitement. Uh, but uh, I know one thing uh, that we discussed is the connection between mental health and chemical dependency. I know we've been looking at here. And I should remind everybody, because not everybody, we got a national audience here that we are in Minneapolis. And when you hear her mention these suburbs and things like that, it's in the Twin Cities metropolitan mm-hmm. area. Uh, But we will come back to all of those things, uh, some of those. uh, I do know that when I started working with people familiar with some of the gang violence and gun violence and things like that, that uh, the two issues of chemical dependency and mental health came up, and we want to come back to that before uh, later on. Now, before we delve into that, I'm not going to let you off without telling us a little bit more about yourself and delve into it your, your background a little bit more okay I, I know a little bit about where you're from and where you hung out at and things like that and why don't you share with us that number one a little bit about your background growing up here and then secondly what i'm gonna want well let, let's let i'll let you answer that one first and then i gotta follow up to that
1: okay um well one I grew up in the northern suburbs of North Minneapolis and some of the areas that are nationally being covered with some of the gang violence, as well as some of what's going on with violence in general and um, people being shot by police and, and all of this. Yeah, that was my stomping ground. That was where I grew up. That was where I hung out. Um, so I'm very familiar with those places, and I'm very familiar with the level of violence and the back and forth circumstance that have been going on um, for individuals of color for a long time. It's been going on, I think, my lifetime. Um, very much so. So um, that's that's my background. Um, and it impacted me as such. You know... I chose to go into, um, addiction counseling and I worked as an addiction counselor for a long time before I went to go back and get my, my additional credentials in, in mental health. Um, I joke that the addiction counselors are sort of like the blue collar folks, kind of Mm -hmm. like the blue collar Uh folks of the circumstance. Um, I spent a lot of time on addiction units, learning and understanding and one thing I will say is most individuals that struggle with addiction, I, I think they also struggle with aspects of mental health. We're, we're looking at things like depression and anxiety. Um, I've never known anyone to basically say something like, hey, when I grow up, I, you know, I think I want to be a heroin addict, or I, I would love to go through and have the experience of running from the police. Yeah, that sounds great. That's not what anybody sets up to do. I mean, people generally go through and they something happen. there's there's trauma or there's social pressure or they go through and and they discover that a, their particular drug of choice is a great way of numbing out from something that feels hard and the chemical then ends up taking over and ha- and causing consequences interpersonally in relationships in other areas and now they need to address that and once they address that, you they begin to recognize that some of the stuff they were trying to numb out from is the stuff that is still waiting there. They that right. they have to learn coping skills to be able to do. So, I grew up with this around me. I grew up with with um, and there's a genetic predisposition. I mean, there's I I teach clients about biopsychosocial. Um, idea that there, you know, there's genetic predispositions. We oftentimes, we know that there's correlations. So when you're born into a family, just like things like diabetes runs in families, addiction runs in families. That happens. It absolutely happens. However, you when you have the combination of that with the level of sensitivities, oftentimes people might have more sensitivity and you come up in invalidating environments. That's, a measure that goes in for people struggling even more Mm -hmm. so. Um, And this, you know, I, addiction runs on both sides of my family, genetically, absolutely. It runs on both sides of my family. I saw it all around me. Um, I started working with chemical dependency and one of the first populations I worked with was adolescence. Um, And I was one of the founding members of the extended care unit uh, at hazelden center over in, in plymouth which is the adolescent unit for hazelden and um, every one of those kiddos you know um struggled had had difficulties and they came mm-hmm. from all over the world um, i've had opportunities also in my career to work with individuals that struggle with gang violence were on the streets so um, working with adolescents is something I'm really familiar with. I stepped back from working with kiddos in part when I started having my own kiddos that same age. Um, <laughs> you, you gotta have a little separation between work and home when it comes to some of the some of the kid stuff. So um, at some point in time, I'll go back to that because I I really did enjoy working with with okay. kids. So
0: I, I I agree with you. You mentioned, and I just. Attention! You mentioned things like trauma, yes, mental health, yes, uh, chemical dependency, and self-medication. Mm-hmm. My question for you, Tracy, and, you know, I'm a problem solver. I'd like to think of myself as that. Sure. We got huge communities mm-hmm. all over the country having these type of issues. And there's only so many people and organizations and services that go around. How yes. do we scale if that word makes sense? Scale the opportunities for people to get help or the outreach. So we well, let me put it this way. is it possible to address these issues on a community level? Because to be honest with you, that's not what I'm seeing here. We we find individual if they come in contact with the system, they may get help. But we know that there are communities all across this country, and be honestly, all mm-hmm. across the world, that needs this, and yeah. they're not getting it. Yeah. So, as a professional mm-hmm. subject matter expert, uh, Trace, I want you to solve this issue right here and now <laughs> <laughs> on my podcast. How do we solve this?
1: Um, well, one thing that I will say, um, I don't, I will, coming up and being trained in Minnesota, there's such a thing as the Minnesota model when it comes to talking about addiction and the Minnesota model is based in idea of utilizing 12 step. I'm not saying you have to be in 12 step to get clean. You don't, Mm -hmm. but one of the things that 12 step does really well is it formulates community. It really formulates community. And that's one thing I remember when I started going through and, and working more primarily with mental health versus chemical health, I mm-hmm. kept looking around going, where the hell's my community? Where's Where's my community? Where are the peers? Where are the people talking about this stuff? Where are the people that are saying, oh, you, you're struggling with some fatigue and some depression and you don't want to get out of it? Oh God, me too. Hey, let's, you know, how about if we make a pact and all you know, well, let's go walking every morning. Let's let's problem solve this. Let's let's get this together. I think how you you work at solving some of this, Lacey, is we start talking about this. We start talking about how these things are are difficult. We start having more and more conversations about it, and we start throwing out some problem solvings and start focusing on an aspect of the solutions and we start formulating communities. One of the things that I've a couple different things I've done in my career. As I've actually worked with um, church organizations, I've worked with pastors before, where we've set up programs, where we've we've involved um, and got things going. We got things mentoring, we got things moving along with this. Um, NAMI is a national organization that talks about mental health, and they're always looking for people to come in and aid in being able to spearhead set up set up a um, A group and keep things going, keep things talking, get more education out there. It wasn't that long ago that we actually started having billboards talking that were saying, hey, let's talk about depression. Let's go through and let's actually acknowledge depression. Because if we don't acknowledge depression, we don't acknowledge how much it's impacting. We start to go and, and we don't start talking about it. It becomes that little secret. And The thing that we know about depression is when we're not talking about depression and we're not talking about these things then we're talking about the suicidal numbers start going up and it becomes more difficult with that i mean hell right now with covid we've we've been in this circumstance where we've all been really really isolated people are missing that connection with one another people are feeling really lonely and separate um, and we've had to be from a medical standpoint to an extent because we didn't want to pass along the virus. However, what can you do to feel part of something? That's, that's one of the ways in which you really go through and you work to impact this is how do you feel part of something? How do you get out there? How do you, how do you go through and, and even do something like this or get on a meeting, connect with your loved ones, have that connection? how do you go through and voice things out and and get active and get involved when someone can feel part of something and can build a sense of competency and say i did that that aids them in feeling connected and when you feel connected and not alone and you feel like people hear you and validate and that you have you you can feel solid in that you have a couple peers it aids you in feeling like you have a sense of worth and value
0: okay so here's the thing i'm gonna stay on this topic and i'm gonna come from it i'm a numbers guy and 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 logical guy here let's assume and we were talking about the number of people in these communities who actually need this type of counseling and these type of services and I'm gonna come at it from a supply and demand standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's say, for the sake of discussion, we got a community where 20,000 people needs this, and I, I, I'm quite sure in a lot of large metro, metropolitan area, the numbers are even greater. But we mm-hmm. only have so many people to treat them. Yeah. And we need we. How can we uh, have the supply meet the demand? It seems like to me that we are piecemealing this a little bit at a time and in the meantime the situation keep growing and getting worse rather than us coming up with a i don't know a large enough type of strategy to address that in a community versus on an individual by individual basis if that makes any sense so uh seems to me like if we're gonna solve this we need to look at it from a more macro or higher attitude than just when people walk in the door or that when they become part of the system and we see that they need it. We know it's out there, and we know there are a lot of people out there needing it. Why are we not coming up with the solution for that, in your opinion?
1: Well, I think one of the reasons why we're not coming up with a solution is because some of the stuff I'm talking about are still the, the dirty little secrets. People don't, don't necessarily want to talk about emotion. People don't necessarily want to talk about mood. People don't want to talk about suicide. People don't want to talk about the fact that they might be um, coping by by drinking. Uh, people right. people feel guilty or shameful for an aspect of that. I think if we can if we can uh, in general start opening up those conversations and talking about these things, so they're not they're 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 open, they're straightforward, and it's it's and we can we can continue to be inviting and preaching and utilizing some of the community resources that we already have right. and and keep a, keep that going and keep the dialogue going and we invite more people in and we actually see people that are have been mentors in their community that are perfectly perfectly imperfect right They're well, human. You,
0: you, you you point to something that I mentioned earlier because on the one hand, We're trying to solve violence and law enforcement issues in these communities. And on the other hand, in order to, I think, successfully solve them, we're going to have to address some of the issues that we were talking about in these communities. But we keep drawing up plans to solve these issues without taking this into effect. So the two things to me doesn't go together. We're trying to solve a global issue where we got these other uh, problems that relate to these issues. We say we're not even talking about that. And so mm-hmm. that's just if that makes sense. That just proves my point. You cannot I don't think well, I don't see how you're going to solve issues in education, and all these other issues, business, economic, development, jobs without on a community level. If you're trying to help the community address these issues. So those are the type of things that I like to have dialogue about because we're just not talking about it. And we think we can just roll some money out and add some more money to it and it'll solve the problem. And it doesn't. And we're not talking to the right people. We're not taking everything into consideration. Your feedback on that?
1: Well, you know, you're talking about education. Lacey, I know you have some background in education. Uh, one of the basic things I th- I think about is is primal basic. How do you how do you teach a kid if the kid's hungry? And, the, exactly. and you know, it's like how do you teach the kid if the kid's hungry? How do you go through and and aid the kid in being able to take in the information if the kid is anxious and worried about what's going on with mom because he left mom that morning and mom couldn't get out of bed. And, and is right. depressed and struggling and not and and socioeconomically is they're not doing so well because mom can't keep a job down mom can't t- keep a job down because you're dealing you might be dealing with depression or bipolar or or numbing out with chemicals as a means of coping with that so I completely agree with you on on an aspect of this it's oftentimes trace tracing it back and then looking at I think really, the more we talk about it, the more we we can get mentoring, we can get leaders, we can get leaders talking about uh, looking at doing this and figuring out how to be supportive to one another, the more we're going to the roots of the circumstance. Like there's a lot, there's still, you and I were talking about, um, yesterday, we were talking a little bit about some of the violence and that violence perpetuates violence. If we can stop and we can take it back to what are the core circumstance? Maslow's hierarchy of need way back when talked about going through it and it's really, really hard to focus at learning something new when you're worried about food, water, and, and shelter.
0: Right. Yeah, uh, part of the issue, and really I'll be talking more about this, I think, is that everybody have their own little silo uh, mm-hmm. Educators look at education, and they don't want to get into solving some and addressing these other issues. And people who are addressing these other issues don't want to deal with the education aspect. Somehow, we got to come together holistically with a holistic report, uh, approach to these issues. I, and I just don't see that happening. And that's why I think a, some a lot of these issues uh, do not get resolved. I mean, we've been talking about the achievement gap as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. In fact, I was telling someone the other day, even, even something that's like uh, law enforcement reform, uh, I was pointing out to someone the other day, the Rodney King incident happened in 1991, 30 years ago, mm-hmm. and we're still talking about how to resolve the issue, and once again, I just see the same basic pattern of not looking at it the whole picture and looking at all the things involved in connecting these dots and developing a solution about that on that. So you mentioned some other things and we talked about some other issues uh, and, and you know, sticking with the whole uh, law enforcement reform, I do know and I've talked to a lot of uh, people involved in all areas of this particular issues. Uh, whether it's uh, uh, law enforcement officers themselves uh, with the young people out there that's being victimized by it. And uh, one of the things that I thought about that's related to your field, like if you, you know, that's, when you have an encounter, when a citizen has an encounter with a law enforcement off, there's anxiety on both par- sides. Oh,
1: gosh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I'm assuming, and I I have to do some research on this, I'm assuming that law enforcement gets some training in how to deal with their anxiety. They do. Yeah. Now, is there anything useful we can say to the citizens out in our audience about how to deal with their anxiety when they are in some of those situations? What would you suggest uh, that our citizens do I mean, you and I know me, I mean, I live in North Minneapolis too, and you know, uh, and I can't help it. uh, Even if I know everything is right, no tail lights are uh, Mm -hmm. are out, my license tabs are up to date, Mm -hmm. I'm not speeding, but the car gets behind me and all of a Mm -hmm. sudden I'm like, you know, what's gonna happen now? And because you've gone through experiences where people have found things and just made up things to stop you. So in other words, all I'm saying is even I have those sometimes what would uh you suggest to the average citizen when they have these encounter to how to deal with their anxieties
1: See the police officer as a person
0: <laughs> now,
1: now that's a good start
0: <laughs> see the police officer as a person I, I, I love that answer yeah I um
1: because you know and and i haven't i i have an interesting little story i could okay. i could share with you okay uh-huh so I'm fortunate enough to own a, a cute little convertible and it mm-hmm. only comes out. It only comes out during warm weather.
0: Ooh, you sound ritzy there. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh,
1: yeah, I, I know <laughs> I do, but you know, <laughs> mind you, this is a 16 year old car. I just baby the heck out of her. Uh-huh. So, um, But she only comes out during warm weather. Now, the thing about this is I've had this car for five years and I'm going to be honest, I'm kind of naughty. Speed.
0: Ah, speed. okay. Uh-huh. I do.
1: I'm kind of naughty. I do speed, uh-huh. and I do get pulled over.
0: Oh, okay. I'm glad you said that. I said you're someone out in all this thing. You probably get away with it, though. Go ahead. I
1: do get pulled uh-huh. over. Uh-huh. I do. It does happen, and I mm-hmm. and I have been cited. But the thing that I also anticipate is uh-huh. if I'm getting pulled over, I was speeding. I deserve that ticket. I really do. I deserve that ticket. One of the last times I got pulled over, I didn't get a ticket. And one of the things that was so very interesting about that particular circumstance, I got pulled over. It was, it was the very beginning of October. It was just before um, I was probably putting her away. And I think, I, I think I surprised the heck out of the law enforcement because they pulled me over. And their response to me, they they were doing their protocol and they were very clear and they were very direct and they had the authoritative circumstance going on with that. Now, when most people get that authoritative circumstance and they feel under threat, we have three options, right? When we feel Mm -hmm. under threat, we're going to fight, we're going to flee, or we're going to freeze. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But going back to my story, I didn't do any of those in part. I looked at the police officer and I said, how are you doing this evening? And they were so taken back because I don't think anybody asked them that. I said, how are you doing this evening, sir, officer? And they looked at me and they said, and and I directed and said, I need to reach for my insurance card. I'm sure you need that. So I'm going to just reach across. And I I verbally kept telling him what I was doing. I'm going to reach for my insurance card and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to reach for my license and I'm going to give you these. And he's like, okay. And I gave him to it and he said, why do you think I'm pulling you over? I said, I was probably speeding. Do you know how fast you're going? No, I don't. Well, how, how come you think you were speeding? Her set point's 80. So I was probably speeding. Well, where are you running off to? I'm not. Honestly, I was enjoying the moon. I was enjoying the stars. I was enjoying the fast. I was enjoying the engine. I was listening to everything. And I wasn't reckless, was I? I wasn't going in and out of traffic. No, you weren't reckless. Okay. I didn't cut anybody off. I wasn't doing anything. No. But I was tailing you for a while. I'm sure you were. So, Tracy, though, I, I, I have Hold to
0: take you I, okay, Okay. finish up.
1: <laughs> so they came back. They ran everything. They came up to me, and they said, okay, I'm not going to write you the ticket. And I actually looked at them, and I said, really? Okay. I was surprised because I really deserved it. Mm-hmm. And and I said, okay, thank you. And he said, on one condition. I said, Okay from here to where you live, which was a good 15 miles, I want you not to speak. I want you to be law-abiding. Okay, I can do that. And I mean it, because if you speed, I am pulling you over and writing you a ticket, okay? I got a police escort all the way home.
0: Uh, Okay, now that's the... um... Cinderella, Snow White version of it, <laughs> Tracy. Let's talk about, let's talk about the, let's talk Maybe. about the guy that's been traumatized all his life, and he's Absolutely. big, and he's black, and he's strong, and, and the cop, uh, 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 somewhat afraid of him anyway. That, that's let's raise this, let's raise this uh, conflict and anxiety to a higher level. Absolutely, that, that's that's the easy level there. What do you say in that type of situation?
1: That absolutely was the easy level, but some of the same basic stuff in the Cinderella easy level is the same kind of thing you do in a heightened situation. You see the person as being a person. You identify what you're reaching for. You communicate with what it is that you're doing. You communicate Uh with what it is that you're doing. You go through, you show a level of respect. And if you deserve the ticket, you get the ticket. If you deserve the circumstance, Uh you anticipate some of it. It, When I say to you that there's three different options that you have, right? There's three different options when you feel under threat fight, flight, or freeze. Mm -hmm. That is just biochemically what is going to happen. And most people oftentimes when they go through and they see law enforcement what they what they tend to want to do is they tend to want to fight. Verbalizing, going through, wanting to go through, wanting to personalize on that person, wanting to go through, call names, wanting to go through and suggest that they didn't do anything wrong, wanting to go through a circumstance with that. When you go through and you show a level of regard, respect, and actually see the person as being a person, uh-huh. what happens is they get taken off guard.
0: Yeah. Uh, and we might have to have a separate uh interview just on that topic because here's the thing Tracy uh and I just have minor stories I mean let's imagine that and uh, given the current yep. circumstance you're a black male yep and you've had a lot of negative encounters with police and you and you well, in fact in fact you told your personal story I'll tell you one of my personal stories here okay and and and, and keep in mind that I've always tried to be respectful of the law. I've always tried, I never resisted arrest. And I always try to make sure when uh, they stop me, I make sure both of my hands are showing at the same time. And, and, and you know, not, but, and I hope our audience can bear with me on this one. Uh, it was Labor Day, mm-hmm. my wife wanted some barbecue. I went over South to get some, coming back way over South, keeping in mind I live the North, a policeman got behind me mm-hmm. about two, blocks or so from the restaurant, and just followed me all the way from over south through downtown. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm the type that normally when the uh, lights start blinking, don't walk. back in those days, at least I speed up and make sure I make it through the lights. But on this particular day, even when the light turned yellow, I didn't go through it. Well, Where I'm getting at, he still found the reasons to stop me. And I've been stopped in so many unfair situations that, you know, Mm -hmm. that sounds good. And it's evident that there's a history of being treated a certain way. And we are human. In fact, on that particular day, even I lost it Mm -hmm. because I knew he was wrong. He knew he was wrong. And we all knew it was wrong, and so I even lost it. In fact, my wife had just bought me a cell phone. A good thing she did, because I was able to call her she calmed me down. But that's what you're talking about. People just had had nothing but bad encounters. And then, on the other hand, you look at the law enforcement uh, side of it, they are meeting a lot of dangerous people, too. So they're both coming in not in this kind of, you know, nice little type thing. It's it's tough out there and it's dangerous Oh no! And it's, li- and, it's, and it's life and death. And that's what both of them thinking about. How do we deal with anxiety in that type of situation where life and death are on the two people's mind? Is there anything that we can do differently uh, uh, in, in, along that line?
1: Well, and yes, I gave you the Cinderella version and that's not to yeah. say that I didn't spend a little time in North myself. It's not to say, mm-hmm. you know, although I mean, yes, I'm a white waspy blonde, so I can't, I can't say to you, Lacey, I know what it's like to be a black male. I can't, and I would, I wouldn't go through and and suggest that I do. What I will, what I would say is that you you just outlined it. There's anxiety on both sides. There's absolutely anxiety. seriously anxiety. Absolutely, yep. there's anxiety on both sides. The law enforcement has gone through, and some of what they've seen, some of the trauma that they've seen. I want, I want to keep in mind, um, and I've treated military, I've treated law enforcement and I've worked with EMTs, the amount of, of angst that they see and the fact that they're first responders and they're stepping into the middle of some pretty heavy duty stuff. They're stepping into the middle of, of gun violence and they're, they're choosing to run forward into it. I mean, they're mm-hmm. choosing to run forward into it. They're the ones that are, that we call mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. in fact the shit is going down. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, There's not a good way to put that. They're the ones. that you say call, stuff was going down? When uh, stuff is going just, down, when heavy duty oh. stuff is happening. Oh, okay. Um, stuff
0: is happening. Okay, good, good. When stuff
1: is happening, Um, they're the ones that that we call that we were asking for help when when there's medical crisis, when when guns guns are out, when when there's violence that's happening, and it takes a toll. It, it yes. takes a toll. It absolutely takes a toll, and they store that information and those experiences in their bodies. And as a result of law enforcement storing that in their bodies, also the next time they might be a little quicker. They might have more intensity, um, and their their capacity, their window of tolerance is a little bit fuller. Um, The longer they've been doing some of this and unless they've had enough support themselves and have Mm -hmm. learned how to shed some of that intensity, they're going to be more prone also to be carrying a level of anxiety. Um, So go the core premise though, still is what I'm Mm -hmm. talking about is going back to seeing people as people, not us versus them. Us versus them goes through and doesn't go, it, it, it puts people at odds with one another, puts people at a status with one another versus coming to a place of seeing the person. Yes. So if you can do anything to be able to see the person, person, person to person and indicate a level of person to person. And that was one of the things I did that evening was indicate uh-huh. a level of person to person. Yes. Um, And be able to communicate and let that person see that I'm seeing them and communicate what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, what's going on. But the thing about that is, first and foremost, you're going to have to go through. You're going to have to get a hold of your breath. <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. Because what happens is mm-hmm. your amygdala, your midbrain just went off mm-hmm. as your fire alarm. And your body just got cortisol and adrenaline and it just started flooding. And generally, for most people, you go, they feel it in their hands, they feel it in their jaw, they want to yell, they want to, they want to fight, they're up here, they're wanting to react. And first and foremost, one of the things you can do with that is to drop it. And if you don't know where your breath is, hand here, hand on your diaphragm. If you're breathing from up in your chest, your fire alarm has just gone off. So if you're breathing from up here and recognizing what that the difference in what that feels like. That is one of the things I will say to anyone everywhere. Notice where your breath is. We can't control different circumstances, but we can control where we're breathing and our breath is our anchor. So the more you begin to notice your breath and learning to drop your breath to do your diaphragm, the -hmm. more you are taking control of anchoring yourself in the moment, in the now, and the less likely you're going to be swamped and overwhelmed by that fire alarm that's happening. So that's another key that I always
0: say to people. Well, a couple of things, and we're going to try to wrap it up here. You probably got separate. You got to go fix and stuff. And I know you got a family. Uh, You mentioned two areas of the brain so far, Mm -hmm. the frontal lobe and the middle area. Why don't you take a minute or two and just give a quick primer on the various areas of the brain and how they work and and how you know our initial signal coming into our primitive form of the brain, and, and just give a little thing so people can kind of get an understanding how okay. our brains really work. And once we get an understanding of that, I think we'll uh, question ourselves a little bit more about what we're doing and and how we're thinking in our opinions. Go, ahead, just give a quick overview. So of that.
1: the quickest, easiest way I would say to people is take your hand, put your thumb in the middle, and close it up. Okay. This is your brain. Right here is the brain stem and the brain stem is the same. Basically this part goes through and keeps our respiration going, keeps our heart going. It's the same, it's our reptilian brain. Okay, It's, Mm -hmm. it's the reptilian brain. It's the part that just keeps our body moving kind of thing. The, the top over the top here is our frontal lobe, and that is where general memory is stored. That's also our cognitive center. That's where we think our stuff through, and we go through, and we're, we have an awareness. Uh, and we thought that, you know, and a lot of memory is kept here. That's not where trauma memory is. Trauma memory is kept in the body. What I was talking about is right here in the midbrain. The midbrain right. and the pons, and that what goes on there. And if you think about the thumbnail right there, that's the amygdala. The quickest, easiest way that I, I say that is the amygdala is the fire alarm that goes through. And it cues everything off. The interesting thing also is the amygdala is housed right next door to the endocrine system. So when you go through and your amygdala is going through and is, is cued off a lot, it goes through and it says, hey, neighbor, hippocampus, let's go through and let's go, get our bodies really active. So individuals that have more emotionality oftentimes end up having more body-centered concerns so you start to see long-standing long-term things where people start to have more issues with the endocrine system things like diabetes things like hypo or hyper um, um thymus concerns so that's something else to kind of keep in mind um, When we go through and we respect our bodies and we quiet ourselves, we eat well, we do all those healthy things that aid us in managing stress, what happens is it gives us more of a space to have more tolerance. It gives us more of a space to be able to manage and do a little bit differently. So even learning how to breathe, all those standard things that they tell us when we're kids, right, in school, all those standard things, eat your veggies, eat. You know, eat your veggies, eat your fruit, drink your water, try and get as much sleep as possible. Watch any of those external um, items like, you know, not too much caffeine, not too much, not too many stimulants. Don't take in different, different chemicals. Watch what you got going on with that. All of those types of things, living a healthy, boring lifestyle Mm -hmm. actually aids people and being having less intensity of emotionality. So if in this moment, you want to do something different to change, learn where you house your breath, drop it to your stomach, go mm-hmm. through practice doing that mindfully, and that's a catchword. okay, that's a catch word, that's a popular word right now, it's been a popular word. Mindfulness, mm-hmm. as far as what I'm talking about, is the idea of being present in your life, okay, being present in your life. So noticing and being present. So mindfully, if I'm going to go through and I'm going to be present in what it is that I'm doing, I'm going to fully engage in doing it. If I'm going to interact with my kids, I'm going to interact with my kids. I'm not going to be watching a screen. I'm not going to be doing two, three other things. Okay. So, yeah, you know.
0: well, we'll come back and talk a little bit more, uh, maybe like I say in a separate interview about the brain how it works because I know there's some things I think you can do to interrupt. Or uh, negate some of the ways that function Uh, and I heard about this as far as the training for the Navy SEALs that instead of us just reacting out of the fear which is located in our reptilian side of the brain there's some Mm -hmm. ways that like we could use that underwater test to uh, make you interrupt the signal or whatever to the reptilian side of your brain so we'll talk about that a little bit more because I think it just amazed me once I started reading about it I wasn't, uh, like I say, as logical as I thought I was. And, and there's ways of doing that. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's let's talk about uh, one more thing. And we'll, once again, start wrapping up. Uh, and I got a lot of things. Look well, we, in, can, we,
1: can talk, we can pick up the topics and come <laughs> yeah, back. Lucy. Yeah, we, we got to,
0: this, this is part one. Uh, let's talk about the current uh, divide, kind of like, in our country
1: okay. where
0: we really uh once again our tribal mentality our herd mentality our group id come into considerations here and we just seem like we just at each other's throat or a lot a lot of us are and i should give credit to uh the quite a few people who still can maintain and be respectful and talk to each other, but there's so much vitriol and things like this. Mm-hmm. And it seems like sometime our leaders and our politicians and our media is actually encouraging it. And if you, and I don't mind saying, if you're as old as I am, you remember the time where we could disagree and mm-hmm. still be respectful. Yes. And still not call people names and still work together to get things done. Mm -hmm. What has happened, Tracy? And how do we start to solve this and start bringing us back together? And a lot of it might go back to what you mentioned earlier, looking at each other as individual. But why don't you take a minute and give us your assessment of what has happened, why it's happening, and how do we go about bringing us back together again?
1: I think part of it comes back to the idea of genuinely wanting to focus on solutions versus investing in problems. Um, it's interesting to me that even when people come in my door, they will invite me to talk about the problem when there's moments when I'm like, okay, let's talk about the solution. Because even when people are engaged in a behavior or a pattern that actually brings them consequence, there's something about that pattern, that habitual pattern they're doing that serves a function. And if we can identify what the function is of that pattern and find something else to put in its place that doesn't have the same consequence, we can go through and we can formulate a much more effective solution. But I think we have to have commitment to together, even from opposite sides, to say, okay, we're committed to working on the solution and not getting so caught up in finger pointing and looking at who contributed what to the problem. The bottom line is, anybody involved contributed something. Some some contributed a lot more than others, but. Also, in order to come up with the solution, we always we have to really make the commitment that we're going to work on solution and not finger point and get down in the mud with it.
0: Okay, well, I heard a little bit of that hanging out in North Minneapolis there when you said uh, some contributed something. (laughs) I like that. Uh, Yeah, so uh, we should start talking a little bit more about how we bring uh, this country together and get over a lot of these things. But I think you're right if we focus on solutions. And you and I talked about this. uh, I'm a techie and a corporate guy by Mm -hmm. most of the time. And what I've always admired about the corporate world and that's why I know it can be done, we had all kinds of people. A lot of times we didn't like each other all kinds of philosophy, genders, races, religions, you, you name it. But here's the thing that always struck me. We put all that aside and we came together and we solved problems. Mm-hmm. And I was speaking to uh, someone who moved from a uh, corporate world and the politics and I uh, asked him what was the toughest thing? And cause he's used to people working together. Think, he said, uh, people are not logical and that's what makes it kind of difficult to get them to focus. Uh, But we will talk about that a little bit more. I will schedule another interview with you and let's start thinking about these type of solutions. Uh, So Tracy, two things I generally try to end with all my guests is, what do you say to someone out in the audience that may want to be a uh, clinical uh, counselor, uh, what do you say to people how to go about doing it and what uh, enjoyment or thrill that you get out of doing what you're doing? So why don't you just talk about first of all, uh, the enjoyment uh, that you get out of what you're doing and secondly, uh, how would anyone else out there who's interested go about doing what you're doing?
1: Um, well, some of what I was commenting earlier, um, I always thought of myself as being a, a mentor, a teacher. Um, I I was drawn to this in part because um, I enjoyed helping people. I genuinely enjoyed helping people. I genuinely, and that's one of those things. I, I still get a thrill out of seeing people succeed. I still get a thrill out of going through and aiding people in um, teaching them skills and then seeing them take those skills and connect in and aiding other people and building an aspect of community. So that's one of those things that I really, really do enjoy. Um, And that's even with, when I was talking about bringing interns into our small clinic, because I enjoy the idea of teaching and watching and and mentoring and, First and foremost, what I would say is if you are drawn to want to help people, if you're drawn to want to want to go through and listen, um, I've had other people say, oh, my goodness, you're listening to people's problems all day long. How could you do that? And I'm like, I get to help figure out how to problem solve um that's what i enjoy about this is i get to help figure it out and give some guidance and they get to then take it and move on um a lot of times i think about the stuff that i do is about planting seeds um so if there's lots of gardens out there they get to go harvest and i really hope that they go through and they continue to share it with the community so that there's more gardens to be grown um but there, I mean, honestly, for what I do, you you need a master's degree there's several different schools across across the twin cities metro there's schools all all across the nation to be able to do more of this but if you want a little bit of a flavor for how do you go through and and get back and don't have to do all that education start by looking around in your community look and see in your place of worship look and see in the schools that the kids attend ask is there some way that you can show up and you can volunteer is there some way that you can actually be part of something be part of community um and the more you start working to do some of that thing you'll you'll figure out where your calling is you really will figure out where um where you actually get fed with this i always said i didn't choose this career the calling kind of chose me so
0: okay well we really appreciate that if I had to, which I do, I guess, if I if I'm going to end this program on one thing, and one thing is focusing on solving the problem, focus on solutions. And if we do that, and that becomes our number one priority, above personality, above politics above whether you're loud or or quiet, whether you're arrogant or humble, if we just focus on the problems and work together to get these problems solved, we can do it. Uh, The challenging part of it, as far as I'm concerned, unless we do this, it will not get solved. This issue will not get solved. We need to put aside all of our differences And uh, I'll end by saying this, I think, uh, and this is if you looked at my website and uh, the goal of uh, this podcast, it is to focus on families. And if we focus on solving solutions, and I'm going to put it like this, I'm going to put it as simplest as possible for the sake of our children. We adults need to come together and work together. For the sake of our kids, and I started off by talking about my grandchild and the sake of our grandchildren and future generations. We adults are, are, are the dysfunctional ones. And I was at the grocery store today, and I got in on this story, I guess. And a little kid was in there, uh one of the one of the little scooter things, I forgot whatever the heck you call those things. And me and a couple of older people were looking at each other, and I'm like, we were like. There is no way in the world our parents would have let us brought one of these things up in the the grocery store and ride it around. And where I'm getting to is that we adults got to become more responsible and set a better example for our children to say no to our children, to teach discipline, to teach hard work for the sake of solving these issues and taking care and leaving a better world for them. So I appreciate uh, You're being here this evening, Tracy. It's nice getting to know you, talking to you. I'm quite sure we'll have some follow up conversation. We'll talk about some old days uh, in, in, in the inner city here and places that we used to go. And we'll keep focusing on working together, helping people, mm-hmm. and making this a better city, making it a better state, better country, and better world. Uh, thank you very much, Tracy. Thank you. I uh, really appreciate your time. Thanks.